Hi there, this is Natasha Campbell from WealthStylist.com and the creator of the Gorgeous Money Tribe, where we focus on wealth plus well-being. Welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Stylist Podcast, an intimate space to support women just like you who desire to live happier, financially healthier, and more fulfilled in life. If you're ready to design a life that you love, then you're in the right place. Dr. Maria James founded Pocket of Money to help you take control of your finances and live a world-class lifestyle. She's consistently studying finance and modifying the tools in order to be the most effective and useful. She wants to empower you with the knowledge, tools, and skills you need to keep more money in your pocket and build wealth. She believes financial literacy is important and necessary to manage your cash flow. She has been featured in Essence and Forbes, just to name a few. Today, she'll deep dive into smart money saving strategies for professionals and entrepreneurs. I have the honor of having Maria James on the Well Stylist podcast. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. <laughs> now, before we actually get into our topic for today, and I'm really excited about that, um, because I know on my personal journey to save, it was like an up and down battle, and it was more for me. Um, a mindset shift more than anything, because I hadn't seen anyone in my family save the amount of money that my husband and I had had the opportunity to save before we purchased our own, you know, our first home. So today we'll be talking about, you know, money saving strategies to save more. So, whoo, so I know you have a wealth of wisdom and knowledge that you'll share with our community. But before we get into the gist of that, could you share your story and your message with us? You know, um, how did you get into providing a financial training and development company that supports professionals and entrepreneurs through your brand, Pocket of Money? Yeah, so I've always been interested in business and finance um, to the point where, you know, I've definitely told some stories where my dad has relayed the stories to me and then I relayed them where he would call me a miser when I was a kid. <laughs> and usually that's not a... Um, an adjective or a noun you would apply to like this uh, seven to 10 year old um, <laughs> child. But I was just uh, very money conscious. I had always had a piggy bank. Um, it was, wasn't in the shape of a pig. It was the crab Sebastian from Little Mermaid. Oh, wow. And yeah, my mom always made sure we had uh, piggy banks and, you know, kind of gave us lessons that we didn't know what was happening at the time as to, you know, why you have a piggy bank, what you're supposed to do with it and your money. Um, so I've always just been interested in that sort of thing. And I actually started a business with my older sister and my older brother. We were selling juleps. Mm. And those are, I think in the DMV, they call them frozen cups, <laughs> uh, which is really just frozen juice in a cup. <laughs> and um, that was our business and I mean it was pretty good but that also gave me lessons on I had to you know, tell my parents what a profit was I was the money person for um, the business even though I was the youngest and uh, I had to explain what a profit was and if we were making one and all that type of stuff so my experiences also fed my interest in the topic um, and then I went to graduate school. So I still wasn't thinking of a career in money. Um, science was my first love. Mm. And uh, so I went to graduate school and did cellular and molecular medicine. That's what my PhD is in. 
And um, basically I took what I was learning in grad school and uh, I'd already started playing around with personal finance tools, creating them in college because I didn't work for like the first two years of college. I only worked during the summers. So creating tools to be able to stretch <laughs> those dollars that you made in three months, stretch them for 10 months. Um, so I'd already started creating my own tools that I would use. And um, in grad school, that took it to a whole nother um, ball game because I was able to apply that strategic thinking, analytical thinking, um, the research skills that I was learning, um, the process and optimization skills, protocol creation, and apply that to finance. Um, so I was up-leveling my tools with the new skill sets that I was learning. And um, other grad students would just say, okay, I know we make the same amount. We're in the same program. So how is it that you have, you know, such and such, or you don't worry about payday? Because I was always like, I don't know when our check come in. I don't know. Because I didn't have to worry about it. And so um, that was what kind of sparked the, well, I can help you with this. You know, here's, here's what you should do. And so when I finished up graduate school, um, I felt I had made the impact that I wanted to make on the HIV AIDS epidemic. I had six manuscripts published. Um, my lab, what we were able to do was create data and information and manuscripts that were published that helped to change some policy. So I really felt that I accomplished what I set out to do. And so that's why I shifted over to my second passion of financial empowerment. Um, I saw a real need in my community. And so I felt that I would be able to fill that need by teaching, you know, what I'd learned and created. That's such a beautiful story. And I know that you're called the money scientist. Now I completely understand yes. <laughs> how that attaches to, you know, what you're doing and then your background um, of what you've previously done and how you merged the two um, with compassion. So I, now I have a better understanding of the brand name that you call yourself, you know, the money scientist. Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. And now why do you believe most Americans are not great savers? So I think this is a multi-pronged uh, issue. So our culture is definitely about consuming and buy, buy, buy. And if you can't afford it, just go ahead and use credit, right? Uh, when you go to college, you get a whole bunch. Before you even finish high school, somehow they get your information that you are of age and start sending you, you know, the credit card um, applications in the mail. Because it's a very much, if you can't afford it, just use credit, right? So mm -hmm. I think that mindset uh, really creates the kind of perfect storm for people to live beyond their means, right? So there's that piece of it, just a cultural norm of we can just use credit, right? And then you have the fact that they, we now have large student loan debt, right? So you have large student loan debt and you couple that with jobs, with salaries that, you know, let, let's just be honest, don't make up for <laughs> the amount that you paid yes. in order to get the education that you thought you needed in order to get the job, mm -hmm. right? And so that makes it very difficult to save as well. Because if you have, you know, $40,000 in student loan debt coming out of college, and let's say you also have a car loan, you got a car so that you're able to get to the job, right? So you take mm -hmm. out that loan and your salary is maybe $50,000. And we know that is salary, mm -hmm. right? So that's not, mm -hmm. not your actual that income. That comes home, yes. Right, exactly. So your actual income is probably something about like 2500 a month, right? So that's 
a problem. So you have that piece on there. And, you know, if you've gone to graduate school, then then it's even worse because there are a lot of people who went and got their master's, went and got their PhD, and they now have six-figure student loan debt. Mm. And, I mean, it's just it's astronomical. I've had people tell me that, oh, I'm just, I'm clear. I'm going to die with my student loans, so I'm just going to live my life. Oh, and, wow. and it's just, it's horrible to hear. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't have to <laughs> die with your student loans. Yeah. You can pay them off. This is out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that adds, you know, to it. And then also a lack of personal finance. So a lack of that knowledge, a lack of those tools, because it's not automatically taught. It's not officially taught. So those who want to do better when they get sick and tired of their situation or they've had mentorship where they say, hey, you know, you really need to look at this. You really need this information. So they have to go seek it out themselves. They have to go searching for it and find that information, find those tools that, you know, they talk to people like you. They talk to people like me. They find our websites and things like that and then get the information themselves. But it has to be an impetus that causes them to do that. Of I want to do better with my money. So you have that lack of knowledge. And then I think also not being clear on the impact that small amounts of money mm-hmm. can have on future financial security and stability, right? So when people say like the latte factor is, you know, a phrase that is used where, oh, what book was it? Um, is the automatic millionaire? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, that discusses the latte factor where, you know, instead of buying that $5 coffee, you know, save that money instead or, you know, what have you. And a lot of people in the personal finance space has come out and rightly so saying that it's not only about penny pinching. It's also about increasing income. I think it's, you know, dual, but also understanding that saving that $5, saving that $10 and investing it means that now that $10, where it's like, oh, it's just $10, that can lead to a nice chunk of change in retirement. That mm-hmm. money invested over a few decades is going to lead to a lot more money. So continuously putting that $10 and, and even more, you know, but people kind of just disregard the smaller amounts. And I think if it was understood, the impact of that compound interest, even with small amounts and continuously adding on, what kind of impact that would have later on, I think people would look at it differently. So I think it's it's all of those things together. Wow, you did touch on a lot of points, especially when it comes to the culture norm. I know for me, I hadn't seen uh, my parents, actually my stepfather and my mom have any kind of healthy conversation when it came to money. So I was having to uh, combat all of those childhood memories, childhood experiences when it came to money and attach, you know, and just Mm -hmm. kind of redefining what money, what financial success meant for me. So, you know, just understanding that component of it, that's huge because many times, you know, we make decisions that are not in alignment with our value. And when we look at the behavior that we have associated with money, many times it stems from, you know, previous or prior experiences. And what hit, what changed for me was when I had my daughter and I shared this often and she was a premature baby and I had about 150 in my savings. I was working, I had a, you know, finance degree and I was financially dysfunctional, even though I was studying personal finance finance because they teach you to manage a company, not really about your own personal finance, at least for the program that I was in. 
And I just, you know, I was sitting there crying with tears in my eyes, like, what in the world? How did I get here? I think that that was like my slap in the face wake up moment. How did I get here? And how can I move from where I am to where I really want to be with my personal finances? And, you know, when you said that small steps, you know, they still do move you forward. And I think a lot of people forget about that. You know, when you're talking about the latte factor, just making those small steps, because what ends up happening, at least for me, I started to build my muscles when it came to personal finance. Like I would try this and I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. I can do this. And then it started to give me more confidence in the doing of it instead of in the, you know, just sitting and being fearful, you know, just moving with action. I think that is the component that cures the fear part of it, you know, because a lot of times many people are afraid to take that first step because they don't know what to expect, even though there's a lot of resources and, you know, a lot, a lot of coaches out there, some people are still afraid. And with the most recent government shutdown, I think it just magnified the, the, the problem that majority of Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck and, mm-hmm. and that they're not, you know, savers. And I didn't learn how to be a saver from, you know, watching anyone like your story. And I think that that's so beautiful because that's what we're teaching our children now, how to be savers so that they know that they can create a resource fund. So if anything happens, you know, you can still continue life and it doesn't have to be like such a major impact. And um, another great thing that you touched on was the student loans. (laughs) And I can, when you said that, I was like, yes, yes. (laughs) I, I went to graduate school. I was the one. I went to graduate school. I am down to $8,000 for graduate school. Oh, yes. I know. That's so exciting. I feel so liberated. I haven't gotten there yet, but you know, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And it's just making those small steps, um, a mindset shift, I think is a big thing. Uh, So how does, you know, our emotion impact our ability to save? Well, I think you touched on the fact that personal finance is personal. You know, when you told your story about, you know, what you saw in childhood and conversations that you hear and did not hear around money, all of those experiences uh, impact our money ideology and how we see and view money. So it's not, it's not just about the money, right? Money is just, well, now it's digital. Money is just, you know, <laughs> represented by <laughs> You know, the dollars going across the screen. Um, and for those who still use cash, you know, it's just paper, it's just coins. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not about the money. It's what that money can allow you to do, right? So it's the experiences that you want to have with your family, that you want to have with your friends, or just by yourself, right? Yeah. And the things that you want to be able to buy, the lifestyle that you want to live, right? That's what the money represents. That's what the money situation represents and that's how the emotions you know get tied into that being able to save right because oh I want to do all these different things and sometimes that trumps saving Mm -hmm. right so all of that uh, affects the money money ideology so the things that you've experienced in the past and then the things that you want and desire to have and so it really impacts how we view the money how we're going to distribute it. And that's across the board with the spending, the saving, the investing that really ties into everything. And the emotion is tied into there. 
Um, and, you know, everyone can probably think of a time where they really wanted to get something, you know, as a kid or even as an adult and you just did not have the money for it. And you're trying to figure out how you can afford this thing or what you're going to sacrifice, right, in order to be able to get this thing that you really want. Um, or as adults, times where maybe you could not pay a bill until your next check came. You know, you had to wait until payday in order to be able to pay something. So all of that is emotional because it's a situation and other things are tied into it. You know, that sense of security, that sense of stability, that desire to be able to do other things. And so the emotions um, have a role in and impact what you do with your money. And I totally agree with that. I know when I started my journey, I had a lot of shame. I have I had a lot of guilt um, when it came to my personal finances, because I felt that at that moment, I felt that I knew better, that I should have done better. And so there were a lot of guilt um, in addition to all of the other things I was going through emotionally. And so for me, I couldn't just pick up a personal finance book because I needed to clean out the clutter that was going on within me. And that's why I always say, because I've walked this you know, having a positive relationship with yourself helps to improve your confidence with money and what you're able to give back to your family, your community, and in service, you know, when you're using your gifts and talents. And so one of the things that has helped me tremendously to, you know, declutter my emotions is actually having a journal. Um, I always say that I've had a money journal from the time that I've gotten my first apartment at a very young age. And that has been so, 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 so transformational for me because it gave me a um, transparent place, a non-judgmental space where I can record my thoughts and then also see, you know, where I want to go. It was like kind of a reflection piece for me. And it helped me to... Um, reconnect with what I value. I think that that was really important because I started to identify what was important for me. What did I value and how could I use my money in those ways to, you know, attach it to what I value became very essential for me. And then of course, being a new mom, you know, that shifts the whole perspective for you also. So what are some game changing mindset shifts that our audience can put in practice to help them, you know, on their financial journey to save more? Um, I think that, Again, recognizing that money is personal, that there are emotions tied to it, but also thinking along the lines of having a little bit of discipline and not deprivation, right? So not getting into the limiting belief mindset of, oh, I can't do something because I'm on a budget. Like you're always on a budget. I tell people you're always on a budget. (laughs) No matter how much money's coming in. Oprah on a budget, right? Yeah. Bill Gates is on a budget. Mm -hmm. They just have a lot more money (laughs) in that budget than we do. Right, because trust they know their dollars and what's coming in, what's going out, and, and what they need to pay attention to. So no matter how much money is coming in, you're on a budget. Because mm-hmm. you hear so many people, oh, I can't buy that, or I can't go out, I'm on a budget, I'm on a budget. So stop thinking of deprivation and I can't, I can't, I can't, what can I do? But start thinking of you know the discipline of how can I uh, do more? How can I save more? How can I earn more? So shifting so that 
you're asking that how so that you're not focused on what you can't do and why you feel it's so tough to save. You start figuring out the possibilities, right? You're yeah. shifting your mindset to figuring out how can I make this happen? So how can I figure out the possibilities? How can I see the opportunities? And I think that's a major shift that will allow people to start seeing things that they did not see before that allows them to cut costs so that they can free up money and put more money towards saving to see, you know, income and do opportunities and things like that. Um, another shift is the fact that it is okay. And matter of fact, it's important to reward yourself, mm -hmm. right? Just put that line item in the budget, have a reward line item or whatever you want to call it. If you don't want to use the word reward, but you know, that that's the amount of money that you have every month to treat yourself. Or even have an account where it's like, okay, this is this saving account is for my reward fund. And you have the amount that you can put towards there in your budget. And then once that account reaches a certain amount or it's been a certain number of months or what have you, whatever rules you want to use, then you go ahead and dip in there and reward yourself. But life gets tough for all of us. Things shift and change. And sometimes you need to pick me up. Sometimes you need a reward. And that's fine. We all do it. Just put it in your budget. I totally agree with that. We ha we are still on the budget. And um, I post our family because we have like our family Friday meetings. That's when everyone in the family, I have a boy and a girl and my husband. And so we meet together. We talk about our budget. My kids are only concerned about the fun money. That's like the only line <laughs> item that they're concerned about and their chore money. So they're always trying to increase those two categories. But mm. we keep it posted so that they're aware of what's going on in the household and that it's a reminder for us as well. So it's on our refrigerator and that allows me to continue to check in, you know, with my money because I update it every week. And that helps me to understand, okay, am I moving towards my goal or away from my goal based mm -hmm. on, you know, our behavior for the week, which is, I think is really essential. And you touch on some a major uh, components about not coming from a place of deprivation when it comes to your spending plan. I think that that's huge because sometimes we see on social media and everything else, we see all these big successes and we feel that we have to uh, shrink down, cut everything, you know, save for 99 years and not enjoy the fruits of our labor. And I don't believe that that's the case. Um, I believe that as long as we're using money within our means, towards what we value. And most of the times the things that we value, we can meet them creatively. So for example, we love to, you know, go out as a family. So sometimes that doesn't mean that we can always go out to eat at a restaurant. It could just be going to a park, having a picnic. We're still getting that opportunity to meet that time of being together without the added expense. So, you know, just those small mindset shifts of being able to meet your need creatively without bursting your budget mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, you're still self-care. You can implement that with fun money. I have it in mind. <laughs> we both have it. We have it yeah. in there for the family so that we can still enjoy life. I think that depending on where you're at and where you're, you know, growing. So sometimes you have to get that quick thousand in your savings account. So you might have to go on a temporary spending fast. I've done that before. So mm -hmm. I guess it just depends on where you're at in your journey, but understanding that, you know, you're not alone on it. And I think social media is a 
great example because you see people doing great things with their finances and that just shows that you can do that too. Sometimes you just have to make certain shifts. You might not be able to do it the same way, which is why personal finance is personal. And you know, the success of it will always be based on designing what works for you and your lifestyle. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So how do you build like a firm foundation to save more and at the same time live in a way that meets their deepest needs? You have to create a comprehensive budget, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that that is a keystone in the foundation. Mm -hmm. And this will show how much you have to save, right? That line item is in the budget. So you know how many dollars should be going towards saving. So you can set up an automatic payment to your savings account so that you're saving that dollar amount no matter what happens because you already ran the numbers and you know that you have that amount to save. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and send that over before it gets eaten up by something else, right? That's true. Um, So do that automatic payment and then again, have that rewards line item so that you're able to enjoy the now while you're still preparing for the future and you're doing it in a financially responsible way because it's in the budget. You know you have that amount of money that you're able to spend. The fun money, as you said, is called um, for your budget. And that way, you know, you can still enjoy yourself and you can still do the things that are wants but that are still important to you because we all have things where it's like, this is really important. I know it's a want, but I still really, 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 really want to do it. It brings me joy. Like still do those things um, and just have it in the budget. Yeah. Yeah. You take care of both. That's a, that's very true. Being able to have both (laughs) because, you know, being able to, there's certain things for me that are important. Like you were saying, you know, everyone has certain things that are important to them. And so for me, self-care is very important. So that means I may, you know, go get a massage. Um, I may go get my pedicure. So I have to make sure that while I'm still meeting my other financial goals, that I also have room for me. I think that that's really important. So, cause that's, that for me is one of my deepest needs. Now, can I, you know, do that creatively? Yeah, I can do it at home. However, if I do have the resources available, then I know that I can go ahead and allocate a certain amount. As long as I'm being um, strategic about it, like you were saying, mm-hmm. being strategic about your money coming in, what's going on, mm-hmm. what's coming in and what's going out and still being able to meet those financial goals. So having a comprehensive budget is essential, like you were saying. And so I know there's a lot of different percentages. I like the 50, 25, 25 rule when it comes to creating a budget, like 50% going towards your needs, 25% towards your financial goals and 25% going towards your lifestyles. Is that something that you use um, also when it comes to creating a comprehensive budget? Yeah, I usually do the 50, 30, 20, um, but very similar. And uh, I just have my percentages of how much for each major line item should be going to, um, or how much money should be in that line item. And I have those different percentages. Um, So I call it my ideal budget template. (laughs) And yeah, so for those who are interested, it's, it's available on the website, but that I try to stick to those amounts. And People have probably heard of some of them like, oh, don't have, you know, your debt over 30% of your income and Mm -hmm. all things like that. So just for each line item, having that percentage and trying not to go over there or playing a game with myself and seeing how low (laughs) I can get (laughs) some of those um, expenses. So, yeah. And now you, one of the things you shared and it kind of sparked like a little, um, 
not a fire because I've the past two weeks have been very interesting with auto pay because you talked about automating your savings and then mm-hmm. automatically I went into my experience. So most of all of our bills on are on auto pay. And so for the past, I think I would say three months. So here's my financial mistake. I'm declaring it on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I had not checked it for the past three months for one account. And then the other account, I hadn't checked it. I think it was like maybe six or seven months because I had previously checked the account. So when we go into auto pay, I keep track of it. I would say within six months, just to make sure everything is flowing the way it should be. Long and behold, I find out that between the, I think it was four accounts, we were overcharged almost $3,000. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? Right. <laughs> like, like, wait a minute. We are on auto pay. How are we behind? Like, I don't get that. Like, could you explain this to me? Like, I was having a moment. Yeah. I know this is probably deviating from the savings, but I just want to caution the listeners to make sure that you are checking in with your auto pay account. So the bank and the companies were very gracious with um, refunding. I mean, I know we have some checks coming back, but they were very gracious with refunding us, put credits on the account. Um, However, if you're not advocating for your money, no one else will. And so it's so important that you consistently do like a check-in with your money. So now I've downloaded the app. I'm like, I'm checking this thing every month to make sure because right. $3,000, that's a lot. And it was over $3,000. And that, that's a hefty amount. Yeah. I would say for anyone who has automatic payments, I mean, you should be doing the end of the month check mm-hmm. because you need to do that anyway to revise or modify your next month's budget um, as needed. But yeah, definitely check in and see uh, what, because the budget is the plan and the expenses are what actually went out. So (laughs) checking what actually went out versus what the plan was. And even if you have automatic payment, you still check and make sure. Yeah. Which I'm glad they were funding. Yeah, (laughs) they did refund. They wanted sending a, and one was, uh, I won't say it, but it was a company (laughs) that we use for our home Mm. and they were, at first they didn't understand it. And then they were like, well, we want to apologize. It seems that there was an error with our system. And so we're going to, you know, we'll credit the next month and we'll send you a check for the remaining balance. So that was like $80 plus the credit. Mm -hmm. And then the next one said that we opted in for a program, which we never did. And they were charging us. And so they had to refund us almost $300. And then the next one, I was like, wait a minute, what is going on here? So this leads me to the next question. You know, how can you avoid those financial pitfalls um, that can get in the way, you know, of us reaching your goals? So for me, that would have been a pitfall if I didn't have the right resources and systems in place. Right. So one, avoid debt. Yeah. <laughs> when <laughs> when taking on student loans, like we've talked about student loans, a lot of people them consider a lot of people consider loan student loans to be a good debt. You know, think about the likely salary that you're gonna have when you graduate mm-hmm. and try not to take on so many student loans that you know the payment's gonna be more than let's say fifteen percent of your expected income per month. Right. So avoiding debt like the plague if you can. Um, don't carry a balance on your credit card. So always completely pay that off before the due date. And a uh, matter of fact, as soon as possible before they even send you a, a, pay, a statement so that um, you can avoid paying the interest, right? Um, we don't want to pay additional money. So 
you can use a credit card. People are like, oh, I want to use a credit card in order to build, um, you know, credit history and all that. I get that. Just don't carry a balance on it. Don't adopt the YOLO mindset with your money. <laughs> the YOLO, you only live once. Um, yeah, let's let's leave that alone. Put the <laughs> put the fun money in the budget so that you're able to. Um, I think a phrase that was used a couple years ago was "ball on a budget." Oh. Right. So put that uh, put that in your budget so that you're able to do that. And then we also remember that the budget is not set in stone. Right. So you're going to need to update it. You're going to have to change it and revise it, you know, as life changes, as your circumstances change. Right. So anything that affects your money or affects the expenses that is going out, you're going to have to change your budget. So it's not a set it and forget it. I did it once and I'm just going to roll with it. It's not set in stone. You're going to constantly revise and change it. And um, also don't jump on investing trends that you don't understand. When the whole blockchain craze um, came about, people were doing some really interesting things with their money, like taking out second mortgages on their homes and investing that money, that loan and then, of course, when the bubble popped, they're like, um, what should I do now? So really fully understand, do the research, take some classes, talk to financial advisors, what have you, before you go ahead and jump on an investing trend. There's no investing, uh, no investment that does not have some risk attached to it. So just fully understand what you're doing and don't invest with money that you can't afford to lose right so great tips great tips now a question that i get asked uh quite often is about debt and savings what are your thoughts about this you know should you pay off debt before savings or should that happen together could you share yeah so my viewpoint is that you need to at least save a minimal emergency fund first and then you can choose a debt repayment method or a few different methods because a very common one is the snowball method that will work best for your situation. And then you prioritize your debts and then you can aggressively target your debt. But having that cash set aside is going to help you avoid accumulating more debt because if something happens, then your only other option is to swipe a credit card or get a loan or what have you if you don't have any of the cash there. So I suggest at least a minimal emergency fund, and then you can focus on paying off debt and um, never deplete your savings in order to make a payment. Or even if it's like, oh, I'm going to completely pay off the card. I just have to use all my savings. I don't agree with that. I think you have to leave some cash set aside for when something happens, because not if something is going to happen, it's when. So when something happens, you have that cash there. Very true, because as we know, emergency don't make appointments. Life doesn't make appointments, you know, when things happen. So it's important to have that um, savings funds available. And I kind of look at savings in like a pyramid, and then there's three different levels to it. And the first level is like, you know, you, it keeps you stable. So that's the foundational piece of having that emergency fund. It keeps you stable. So if anything that happens in life that's under $1,000, you can easily meet that goal. I'm not goal, but you can easily meet that expense and then be able to continue with, you know, life intentionally. And then the next phase is about protecting your income. 
which, you know, goes past that 1000. And then at the top point, you know, it's that, you know, long-term investing and saving. And I kind of think of it in the same sense with debt as well. You know, with debt, we want to stabilize the debt. That's the foundational piece so that we're not continuing to incur more debt. And then the next piece would be the snowballing effect, you know, to <laughs> pay off that debt. And uh, I'm sure the listeners can Google the debt snowball. It's very popular um, online. There's a lot of different um, versions of, the, of paying down debt. I think there's the avalanche and the snowball. I think those are the two major um, repayment plans. And then that helps you. So you're doing these both at the same time, stabilizing, saving, debt snowball. And then, you know, you're continuing to build upon your savings fund. Because a lot of times when someone asks me, should I be doing both? Should I, you know, be saving everything or just focus on the debt? And like you were saying, make sure that you continue to have something as a resource and not just take everything out your account and throw it towards your debt because you don't know what may happen. Mm-hmm. And having that principle in place is essential. Lisa, for us, it's been very beneficial. And I think that that's a proven principle to take in place. Now, are there any recommended resources that you believe that would be helpful and useful to the audience to help them become better savers? Are there like apps that you enjoy? Um, You did share your ideal budget. So I'll make sure I link that in the um, podcast notes so that they get an opportunity to download that from you as well. Sure. Yeah. So I definitely have the different budget templates that I use. Um, I'm an Excel girl, so I've uh, created the templates that I've used and I've optimized over the years. Um, but I also automated payments. Uh, definitely, like we talked about, have one for your savings. There are some really great apps that will allow you to automatically save as well, like Digit and Rise, R-I-Z-E, um, Capital that starts with a Q, Q-A-P-I-T-A-L. So those three are some really good um, savings apps that allow you to put an input, your goal and different things like that. Um, Budget tracking software, I think is another important piece. So even if you use Excel, using something like Mint or Empower or Personal Capital um, allows you to input your budget into the software and they usually have mobile apps. So you can also get alerts if you're going over your budget category. Mm. Or you can check it when you're, while you're out and about so that if you're questioning if you have the money to, um, you know, get that sweater or that dress or that jacket or those shoes or whatever it is, you can check real quick and say, mm, I don't have any more money in this budget category. So let me just leave this here for now. Um, so I think those are some good resources that will help them to save more. And I'm an Excel girl too. I love Excel. I think that's because I've yeah. used it mostly through college with, you know, understanding finances and forecasting and doing a lot of other stuff. But um, I still use Excel. I started with pen and paper uh, with my budget through my money journal. And then I've graduated to using the Excel spreadsheet because for me, it's easy to update. That's the reason mm-hmm. why I like Excel because I can easily share it with my spouse, print it out, um, and it allows me to input. So if you're, you know, familiar with Excel, I would say that that's a great tool to use. If not, pen and paper works fine. Um, but it's a, to me, a budget is not just transactional. It's actually relational. So it's, you know, c- creating that commitment, like scheduling a date saying, hey, on Fridays, like I said, we do. This is going to be the day when I check in with my money or Mondays or Sundays, whatever day works for you. But having more of a relational um fit with your budget and not just, it's just about the transaction. It's also about, you know, looking at what habits, 
what happened last month, what needs to shift, what needs to change, what needs to improve. And I think that has helped us in our journey, especially when it came to comes to saving more, you know, paying off more debt. I have tried Digit personally, and I was able to save, uh, I think, a decent amount. However, when they switched to the um, charging, I did yeah. disconnect my account. So, you know, that's just look at the pros and cons of the apps and find out, you know, what fits into your lifestyle. And then income tax time is coming. So <laughs> that's a great yep way to meet your goals, uh, especially when it comes to saving. Now, before I let you go, Maria, what is one quote or mantra you live by? Um, my motto is luxury and frugal living. Mm. Yes. So I, I like that. In, thank you. Yes. Um, I think it just encompasses a lot of everything that we've talked about. Like you don't have to be like this penny pinching miser. I'm not a minimalist by any means. And, you know, I don't do things like split toilet paper, any of that stuff. <laughs> but um, I think that just being very money wise about um, your lifestyle and making sure that you always ask yourself, is this going to put me closer to my money goals or further away? Right. And so still enjoying the now, but still being very money wise about your decisions. So to me, that's what that, that model represents. Now, could you complete this sentence then for me? To me, designing a life I love means? Being able to have time freedom and live on my own terms. Mm, well said, well said. Well, thank you so much, for Maria, for being our guest today. I hope that the listeners got a ton of value from your conversation. You did pour a lot of wisdom. So I will share how they can stay connected to you and learn more about you know, how you show up and serve in the community. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in. If you love this episode, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing and be sure to share it with a friend. I'd love to get to know you and hear all about your passions, dreams, and how this podcast has helped you. So please be sure to leave me a review. For more beyond this podcast, there's many ways that we can still stay connected. You can visit me at my website, wealthstylist.com. You can follow me on social media. My handle is at WellStylist, or you can join the Gorgeous Money Tribe. Head over to Facebook and request to join our global community where we focus on wealth plus well-being.